Hello and welcome to Preoccupied, a podcast exploring the many different fields of psychology. I'm Zenon and Maddie will be joining us in just a minute. Yesterday we were at the University of Michigan Dearborn doing a live podcast event to recruit people to the psychology program there. We got to talk to four different professors there. Dr. Marie Wong, who was our interviewee for our first episode, she's an industrial organizational psychologist. Dr. Robert Himes, a social personality psychologist. Dr. Caleb Seifert, a um, clinical researcher whose interest is in personality traits. And Dr. Paul Drous, who's actually a professor of sociology at the university. So this episode's really two parts. There's first the kind of introduction where Maddie and I just talk about the university and the experience of going there. And about 14 minutes in, the interview and QA with the faculty start. That's when you'll get to hear all these professors from all these different disciplines talking to each other about their field, their research. We even get a bit where Professor Drous, the sociologist, is kind of bouncing off the psychologists and uh, comparing those two disciplines. So it's a real good listen, and I hope you enjoy it. I'm Maddie, and I'm a psych student here going into my sophomore year, so I was in your guys' seats um, sometimes literally about a year ago from now. You're, yeah, that's how you talk. Yep. And um, how about you, Zenon? I'm Zenon, and uh, I'm also a psych major and also going into my sophomore year. Um, and you might be wondering why we have microphones when we're in a room that's like maybe 20 feet across. And that's because uh, Zenon and I record a podcast about psychology called Preoccupied, if you're wondering what the flyers are about. And basically, we interview professionals and um, find, a, you know, make, what else do we do? We talk about different research and things in a way that's really approachable and pretty much for people like you who are interested in psychology but don't really know quite which branch of it they might want to go into, like Zenon and myself. Yeah, um, the whole point is to kind of look at all the different careers and fields that there are out there in psychology and talk to people who really know what they're talking about. So, yeah. And it's been really fun, and we have a couple episodes up and making more every day, every month, actually. Yep, got some uh, flyers and stickers over there to add to your uh, totes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then with us here today are Dr. Himes and Dr. Wong, who are both professors here at the university, and they both conduct their own research, which we're going to hear a little bit more about um, in a couple of minutes, but uh, we just want to talk a little bit about our experience in the psych program, and something that may have drawn you to check out this campus in the first place is, uh, like, the, for lack of a better word, <laughs> like, intimacy of the campus, and that definitely shows in every aspect, socially, academically, and then professionally. Um, so what has been your experience? You've taken more classes here than sure. I have. Sure. Yeah, um, it's, the class size is really great. The intro site classes, I think, cap out at 60, and then the upper-level classes cap out at about 40. So there's always, there's always a lot of one-on-one -on -one contact with the professor. So if you ever have any needs, questions, anything, you just want to talk with them, they always have office hours that are open, and it's just really great to be able to get that kind of contact with the professors. And the classes get even smaller than that. I'm in a class right now with a class size of four. So it, it's, it's really nice to have that opportunity to talk to the professors one-on-one. -on -one. Right, and even get to know other people who are interested in what you're interested in and make friends. Yeah. Um, 
And something that's really cool is that you can literally just walk down this hallway and knock on doors all day and they'll be sitting there and so excited to talk to you and recognize you from the class, you know? And I think that's something that's really special. Um, and with those connections with professors, you may find that it is pretty, uh, getting involved in research here is a very accessible thing, which is something that if you're going into psych might be really important to you, depending on what your end goal is. Um, yeah, so, for sure. You yeah. can, <laughs> if you're taking a class with a professor, you can just go into their office hours. And if they're doing research and, you know, you ask them about it, ask if there's a way to help, you can usually get involved right there on a volunteer basis. And then if you're really interested in what they're doing, you know, you like what you're helping with, then uh, Maddie has some experience here even going a little bit farther with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I took a social psych class in my first semester as a freshman, keep in mind, and um, no marketable skills whatsoever. But um, my professor, I was so interested in what she was doing, so I emailed her and I was like, please? And she was like, of course. And um, I was able to get an independent study for the winter semester of my freshman year, and we were formulating research questions together. We were making measures. We were getting IRB approval and doing all this certification stuff you have to do to do that kind of thing. And um, that experience has been so enriching since then. Like, I would not have imagined that in my freshman year I would be able to be the person who's standing at the front of the class, handing out the surveys and entering the data and not only doing that, but analyzing it and getting it ready for presentation in the next couple of semesters that I have here. Yeah, so really going through all the parts of the process that you would as an actual researcher. Yeah, um, and it's like just super interesting and I know a ton about poverty now. <laughs> and um, So yeah, that's um, definitely the difference between an independent study here or at a bigger university. I worked for one summer um, at, not to like drop names or whatever, but like at Michigan State, I was a research assistant for the summer when I was going there. And um, I was plunking in like if a teacher had received a gift card or not for like four hours a day. <laughs> and it was not how I imagined being involved with research would look like. So being able to come here and have such a hands-on experience was so cool. Yep. And um, another thing that's really cool about being here with kind of the more intimate community is um, it's really great. We have a program called um, Supplemental Instruction, or SI, and uh, it's office actually in that room right over there. And um, I, during my freshman year, I got to be an SI leader, which means that um, I'd be paired up with a professor for a class that I'd taken already, and I'd um, go to the lectures and see kind of how the professor's teaching the class so that I can lead group study sessions for the students. So it's being involved in helping the students taking the class as a student. And that really helped me with um, like skills to help teach this material to the students and help them retain it. And um, also with my understanding of the material, too, going over it a second time after taking the class. And you get paid. Yes, you do yeah. get paid. It's <laughs> For some reason, that's a not very well-known thing. But um, yeah, it does qualify as an on-campus job. And there's a great community of SI leaders, too. So if you do come here and take a class with an SI leader, always feel free to ask them questions about anything, stuff on campus, classes, material. And if they don't know, then there's someone in that community who will have a really good answer for you. Um, and then with having that, uh, Dearborn gets a lot of those like U of M 
connections, you know? So we have internships, like, in Dearborn, in Detroit, in Ann Arbor that you can access, like, I think your sophomore year? Yeah. And um, that's another way to get hands-on experience, which we're going into yep. that. So we'll keep you posted. Exactly. And they have all sorts of different fields you can go into. They have um, things working with children, with um, people who are coming out of the correctional system, with people who are being abused, um, and just all sorts of different opportunities. They even have one that um, involves um, working with animals. So there's a lot of really good opportunities in the psych internship program. Um, with no further ado, um, we're going to talk to two real-life professors, and um, like we're especially happy to have these two because I know when I was going into college, I expected you know the Tweed and Ivy and Brick and you know just very closed off, um, very um, intimidating uh, professors, and luckily we have these two who are just the yeah. warmest people, let alone professors. Um, yeah. You said you interviewed professional? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we interview, um, we interview, we've interviewed a lot of professors lately. Like, uh, we've interviewed Dr. Wong about general psychology. We've interviewed um, a professor of relationships and personality, or social and personality psychology down in Ann Arbor. And um, right now we're setting up uh, interviews with different therapists and things like that. So yeah, we talk to all sorts of different people. So I guess we'll start with... Um, Do you want to ask about um, the psychiatrist program? Yeah, um, yeah. Dr. Himes is very involved. I don't know. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> would you, uh, Dr. Himes, since you teach one of the class computers in psych, would you be able to say a few words about the psych honors program? Uh, well, as, as uh, uh, Professor uh, uh, Smith indicated to you um, earlier, um, we have a, an honors program that is actually it's a three-course sequence where the first course is a seminar and the professor in that course teaches you uh, pretty much the ins and outs of doing research on your own, um, going through everything from conceptualizing an idea or a hypothesis that you might have um, through uh, creating a study um, with all the different measures that you need um, and uh, uh, then and and you actually propose a, uh, a study before you um, graduate or graduate before you, you complete that course and your your writing uh, is is done in what's called uh, American Psychological Association style APA style and you learn how to actually write like a like a researcher um, at that point, then you would come to me uh, in my class in computers in psych, and what we do is spend a lot of time talking about how to uh, analyze the data that you collect using the computer, using various statistical software, and so on. Um, and then once you've done that, then you go out on your own and you collect your data. And each student has uh, a committee made up of two uh, faculty. Um, one, uh, one would be the primary faculty member and the other being, being the secondary faculty member. And those two uh, guide you through the whole research process as you do it. Um, and you go to them when you run into problems and problems, of course, are inevitable. Um, so you're, and you can go to them, talk to them about it and so on. 
um, and they will walk you through pretty much the entire process so that you're not on your own because that's a little scary. Uh, but you, but you, you actually carry things out um, uh, pretty much independently um, as much as you want to do it, and. Uh, uh, and then you produce a final product, which is an actual research project from start to finish. Um, everything from the title page uh, of your of your manuscript all the way to the reference section and and figures and tables. And some of the students um, actually present their papers at conferences. Uh, we have conferences here, um, but we also have national conferences associated with the American Psychological Association and uh, APS. I can't remember what APS stands for these days. Um, they keep changing yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. American it, Psychological Science, is that it? I think that's I, something yeah, like, I think I, they actually, it's not American anymore. I it's I, international. I'm terrible with it. I think, I, think it's, I think it's Association of Psychological oh, okay. Science or something like that. Anyway, so you, would, you could present your, your paper there and actually get to know other faculty from other schools, maybe perhaps even schools that you're interested in applying to for graduate programs, uh, master's programs, or PhD programs, and so on. And uh, and speak to them about your research and hopefully impress them with what you what you've done. Uh, so the honors program is a really great opportunity for students who really want to uh, sort of take the bull by the horns and, and carry out some of their own ideas under under the supervision of professors. I mean, you wouldn't be doing this totally on your own. That's a little scary. Um, but no, you would you would work with the under the supervision of a, of professors who would help you uh, carry it out. Yeah, exactly. Um... That's another uh, distinction is like you're working directly with professors rather than graduate students, things like that. So it's really um, invaluable while you're preparing for furthering your education even further. Um, so Professor Wong, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you love to do with students, uh, what you most enjoy about your Sure, I'd be happy people. to. Um, so I'm an industrial psychologist. Um, it involves applying psychological principles to the workplace. And if I have time, I'll talk to you a little bit about some of my research. But the question was, what do I like about our students? One of my favorite things about our students is they tend to get really excited about ideas. So if I sit there and talk to them in my office and you know we come up with a research idea, they just get super, super excited. And I also, one of my favorite things about teaching is if I'm explaining something complicated in class, and I can sort of see people are like a little confused, and then if I just explain it exactly right, the light bulb, you can almost see light bulbs above everybody's heads. That's like a great experience for a faculty member. Um, I also like that students help me with technology because <laughs> sometimes I'm, I can get a little, you know, frazzled in front of the class. I'm like, ah, oh, I can't show the YouTube video that I want and someone will always jump up and help me. Um, so I find that our students, I, not only are they just curious and smart and engaged, but I think they're just really nice people too. You tend to be really nice to your professors, which I, I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Holmes, could you tell us a little bit about your background, maybe sure. you enjoy. I, I, I'm a I'm a social personality psychologist. I, I guess where I'm in the field that a professor you, you interviewed at Ann Arbor. Um, I, I uh, got my PhD from Michigan State University, um, though uh, I find the students are really good about not holding that against me around here. Um, oh, and by the way, Professor Wong is from Ohio, Ohio State University. So yeah. yeah, so the two rivals are actually right here. Um, but we, we do love the we're we, here to, yeah. we love the University of Michigan. All right, just despite the especially the last day of the month, uh, except during football <laughs> it's our season. Day, right? Yeah, except during football season. But anyway. Um, 
but but uh, so I, I do social psychological research. Um, my my areas of interest vary, but uh, primarily I'm interested in studying prejudice and stereotyping, um, the cognitive processes that go on behind it, and and so on. Um, and uh, uh, I, I've got a lab that I've been in for quite a while, and we collect a lot of data in there, looking at uh, people's attitudes and and their and the way their their thought processes affect how they feel about each other, and so on. Um, now, as far as what I like about the students here, I, I have to go along with what whatever Professor Wong has said, but I also have to add one more thing: is that one of the reasons I, I wanted to come here in the first place uh, was. Um, because I, I actually identify with the students here uh, in, in, in many ways. Um, I can't speak for any of my colleagues, but one thing that I did when I, when I was an undergraduate, I, I went to Stony Brook University out, out in New York on Long Island. And I was one of the few students who was what we call a commuter student. Um, many of the students there at the school were, were residential. Um, and uh, I had to work full time while I went to school. And it, I did both full time. And I found it very difficult, but I also was able to achieve it. And I come here finding out that many of the students here do the same thing. I think roughly 70 to 80 percent of our students actually hold part, at least part-time jobs. Some uh, hold full-time jobs. And so I, I know how difficult that is. And so I identify with the students here. And I feel very uh, much a, we have a kindred spirit um, that I, I feel that I can identify with what they're going through. And, and, and I understand their, you know, the issues that they have to deal with because they are working uh, in addition to going to school, unlike uh, uh, some schools where perhaps it might be, like in Ann Arbor, for example, most of the students don't work outside. They, they simply go to class, and, and that's great, but um, for the students like, like we have here, I, I find that, that's, that that kind of thing is something I really want to support. So um, I work very hard with the students to help them make the two things fit together, their work schedule and their, their school schedule. So um, anyway, that's, that's one of the major reasons I really like it here. Awesome. So what kind of research are you guys working on right now? So um, I'm doing, so I mentioned I'm an industrial psychologist, but I actually do research with people in other units, what we call colleges on campus. So I'm doing some research with some engineers, and I'm also doing some research with people from the College of Business. So I'm going to talk about the engineering one, because I think it'll be probably like a more interest, the most interesting one. So we're working on an autonomous shuttle on campus. So that's a self-driving shuttle that goes back and forth. Don't look alarmed, though, because when we get the thing running, and I'm not the one doing it, don't worry, psychologist. Just should not be like you know designing these like that's not where my role is but when the engineering the students are working on this so that's a really cool part but the other cool part is that behavioral sciences scientists are also working on it because when we when you think about interactions when you think about driving so if you're a driver when you go to a four-way stop there's a lot of communication that goes on if you were to crosswalk there's communication that goes on between not just the driver, but the pedestrian, a cyclist, you know. So, and it turns out that human beings are very good at predicting each other's behavior. So I can be sitting in a crosswalk, I can see what's going on, and like in a split second, I, ha I have an intuition of how you're going to behave. So I know if you're going to cross, if you're going to sit, if you're going to wait, if you have a stroller and you back up, I can tell that as a human being very, very quickly. The problem is, Artificial intelligence doesn't have that human intuition, right? So we have to figure out ways to communicate. So this project, I'm working on this with Professor McCausland, who's a social psychologist in, um, in, in this department. 
Um, and also, I'm working on it with um, Sridhar Lakshmanan. He's in, in engineering, and we also have a graduate student, Brian Mason, in engineering, who's working on this project. So we're trying to work on this communication system. Like, how does the shuttle interact with pedestrians and other drivers and cyclists, and how do they sort of interact with the shuttle? So that's where you can see where um, two different areas really fit together, that you have the behavioral sciences, the psychology part, but you also have the technology part. So that's sort of one of the things that industrial psychology does. It takes a lot of psychological principles and applies them. Um, that's not really exactly industrial psychology, but it's a lot of the... Um, my other thing I'm doing with the, the College of Business, um, two faculty members there, Joy Beatty and um, um, Jesse Lee, um, we're working on something called a psychological contract. So when you're an employee, you have a sense of what the company owes you and what you owe them. And we're looking at how this develops in interns. So we have interns, we basically, we give them gift cards to get them to keep participating. So they get these really nice Amazon gift cards from me when they fill out a survey. And we're, we're following them along as they, as they go. So that's, those are two examples of research that I'm doing that's not just in psychology, that's sort of crossing over into another field also. No, <laughs> we, we have to do some work to get the Amazon gift card. But if you if you become an intern here, you can be in my research study. Yeah, that's so. <laughs> yeah, no, that is so fascinating. And with the autonomous shuttle too, that's something that you're going to see applied on campus in your own community in the next couple of years, if all goes yes. well. With that. And, and just a real quick thing about the shuttle: they will have a driver, so nobody gets. Scared. There will be a driver there to make sure in case anything goes wrong. So there'll be somebody there, um, in just in case. <laughs> yep. And um, so for another question, for the students that are um, working with you in your research, both Dr. Himes and um, Dr. Wong, what are some of the skills that they gain through that research that might help them in the workplace? Sure. Um, well, I, I can't speak to what Dr. Wong is doing other than I, I suspect it's at least where the students are involved. It's probably the same sort of thing in, in research. In, in my lab, for example, the students learn to do everything from uh, complete uh, uh, ethics um, training, because when you deal with human subjects, uh, you have to be very concerned with that, that they're treated ethically and, they're, and, and so forth. Um, so they, they certainly get that. But in addition, uh, and I think more, even even more important to, to the research experience itself, the students are actually, I, I, again, I can't speak for my colleagues, but what we do is, in my lab, is we have a weekly meeting where we talk about our hypotheses and how our data collection is going and, and, and basically our preliminary data, are they, are they supporting our hypotheses? And if they're not, um, maybe we've, we've thought something wrong or we need to rethink something. And so the students contribute to uh, a lot of the changes that we make in our, in our uh, research protocols and, and, and so forth. So the students certainly get involved in, in actually the preliminary parts of doing research. But they also, uh, a big part of what, what my students do in my lab is they run subjects. They actually run uh, once once they're out of the freshman year and they and uh, um, they're in a position where I can have them actually run uh, our uh, psychology students. I, I'm not sure if you're, you're aware of this, but uh, for psychology, many of our much of our data comes from introductory psychology students, so the freshmen who who take the courses. They actually have to complete a certain number of hours of uh, psychological research. They have to be participants, or they can do an alternative assignment. At any rate, 
this is the first opportunity that that the uh, upper level students have uh, to actually run the students through research protocols and and uh, explain to students what they're uh, what we were looking for them to do and so forth. Um, so they actually collect the data alongside with me. Then we actually analyze the data together. The students actually can start to see patterns in the data as we had predicted, or sometimes not so, not like we predicted, or very different from what we predicted. Um, and so they get to see all of that firsthand. And as I said earlier, um, some of them, what they will do is, uh, if they ask me, you know, can I present this at a conference, I will we'll, we'll peel off part of the study that they can actually write up themselves and present it with, as, as their, their own authorship and so on. Um, and I supervise them through that. Amazing. Even more hands-on experience. Um, are there any questions from any of you guys about student life, about classes? Yeah, so the classes, the way the classes are set up, we want you to get a well-rounded view of psychology. So we have, I think it's four or five different sort of branches of psychology. So you'll take some courses in clinical, you'll take some in social, um, you'll take some in cognitive psychology, and then you have to always take research methods and statistics. And I teach stats, so if any of you come here, I will be so excited to teach you statistics. Um, but, but absolutely, you will get a very well-rounded perspective on what psychology is. And then there's a little bit of room for you to take some electives, too, if you find an area that you really like. Any other questions? Yeah? For the internships, what's looking for a job? What do you do? So the internships are varied. They, it, they cover different areas of psychology. A lot of them are human service oriented, but we have a professor who runs that internship program, and he would probably be a better person to talk to about that. Um, I do teach one like, little plug that I have. I teach a careers in psychology course. It's a, it's a very um, introductory course. It's called Psychology 299, and it's careers in psychology. So if any of you are interested in careers in psychology, I have had high school students actually take the course, and it's worked out really well. They can dual enroll. It's a one-credit course, so it's not a huge time thing. And what we do, what you do in the course is we talk about, like, sort of what are your thoughts on your career, which, you know, we kind of plan out your, like, what you would, your experiences. And one of the things I tell students is, for internships, if you're thinking of getting a job right after school, if you don't want to go to grad school, internships, I think, are very, very important because it adds to your resume, and volunteering is also very important. So you want to be trying to build your resume. If you want to go to grad school, research, research, research. Um, so, it, And the other things are good, too. But, but um, again, my little plug, because there's a lot to learn about psychology and what you can do career-wise. And so, um, you know, think about that. Because I know I've had high school students take the class and they did great in it. So just a thought. I yeah. think the important thing to keep in mind is, is that when you come here, um, and, and I would have to compare it against you know, larger schools, when you come here, um, we don't just teach, your, teach you classes and then we go home and you go home. We actually spend, I, I would have to say, probably the bulk of our time is spent dealing with students one-on-one, -on -one, talking to them about their career opportunities and their plans, talking to them about graduate school, talking about about their research ideas and so on. Um, so in fact, uh, we, we do have a heavy teaching load, but but that's not most of what we do. We actually spend a lot of time one-on-one -on -one with students working with each of you uh, to try to position you as best we can for uh, for your future. Um, so, 
get a, coming here is great and and it's terrific in terms of taking the classes because the teaching quality here is is really second to none uh, but in terms of the actual one-on-one experience you have with your professors here I think it's 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 pretty substantial and so we guide you through those things um, and if one of us doesn't know the answer to a question you have we would be you know we send you to another colleague uh, depending upon what your needs are so uh, we look after you pretty carefully when you when you come in here Yep, and um, if you want to see a list of all the different organizations that the psychology internship program is working with, you can go to the U of M Dearborn website and search psychology internship, and then um, download the application. And on that application is a list of all the organizations they work with. Are there any other questions? Yeah. How is it like the Depends. The psychology major is um, Intro to Psychology, which is a three-credit course plus another 30 credits. So no longer than any other degree. Unless you want to, I mean, it's, I think about four years. It's a pretty standard. Yeah, four it's, year. it's standard four years. Meant to be four, four years. years. Some students don't take full loads, but I think if you're going full time, you would easily finish in four years. Yeah, and then we have students who, uh, in my lab, I have a lot of volunteers who are taking the so-called gap year that you may have heard of. Uh, gap year meaning it's a year they don't, they're not, uh, they're they're done with with mm-hmm. with here. They have their bachelor's degree, but they haven't yet. Um, uh, entered into a graduate program, and so a lot of them either do internship type work or they volunteer their time in uh, in our laboratories and whatnot, uh, so that you uh, they can get more experience. The other thing to keep in mind is is that when you're here, if you are looking toward the future, career wise or graduate school wise, you want to get letters of recommendation from these professors, and so. If we only know you from the class, it's really kind of difficult to evaluate you, all right, because we only know, you know, how you do on exams. But if you work with us and we get to know you personally, we can speak to your personal qualities and, and so on. So it really is helpful to uh, not just the professor for getting their research done, but it's also helpful to the student for getting a really good letter recommendation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can attest to that. Like the woman who I... Supervised my independent study, all of that. I got to get very close to her, and um, you know, I like that. Those connections, this experience definitely makes a difference. Like I, just this summer, like I'm got like the dream internship. I'm gonna be like doing, uh, like teaching kids with ADD coping mechanisms in a summer camp format. Um, like at Harvard, you know, and um, that is something that I think that I would not have been able to achieve without my professors knowing me as well as they do and being able to empower me to get the experiences that I have already. All right, so that was our first interview and QA session, and now we're going to be moving on to the second set again of interview and QA session, this time with all four professors, so enjoy. Uh, We have quite a few professors here with us in the flesh. Um, so we're going to ask them a couple questions. I'm a hologram, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have Dr. Wong, who is an industrial organizational psychologist. Dr. Himes, who does uh, social and personality psychology and works a lot with prejudice, things like that. Um, uh, I'm Dr. Seifert. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I study individual differences in personality. I'm uh, Dr. Seifert's evil twin. (laughs) No, my name is Paul Drouse. I'm a professor of sociology, so I'm actually not a psychologist, 
Although I, I have a lot of, we have a, we have a lot of uh, shared students and, yes. and, and uh, a lot of shared issues across our. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They're not issues. Shared issues. Yes. Shared interests. Overlapping. <laughs> Overlapping interests. Entangled. Psychologists issues. don't like the word issues. <laughs> They're easy to trigger. Yes, we are. Um, so we've heard a little bit from uh, Dr. Heinz and Dr. Wong in the previous session about um, what they most enjoy about working with their students, but uh, Dr. Seifer, what would you say you most enjoy about working with students in the lab? Well, I would say two things. One, it's fun to have an opportunity to hear from younger people what they're interested in, and it sort of keeps you in touch with what folks out in the world and in the community are interested in. And then the, the second thing is taking sort of an interest that the, oftentimes the student is sort of like, well, how would I even study this? And kind of working with them to come up with a plan, to create a study, to sort of look at this. In addition, as they go through conducting the actual study, they're often doing a lot of reading about the topic and becoming even more expert on it. And many times it translates into something that they want to do in a more serious or longer term way. And it's a lot of fun to watch that process of like, hey, I'm a little bit interested in video games, all the way up to an honors thesis on how do video games sort of make you more or less a pro-social. Yeah. So that process is a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, so I'm, uh, again, I'm a sociologist and we, uh, we don't have a lab. You may notice, you can look up and down here. They're trying to get one, actually. But what I, I say to my my co-disciplinarians is that our lab is actually out there. Absolutely. Right. So uh, the research that I do, and I do a lot of applied research, usually takes place outside of the university and outside the classroom, in different communities. Uh, I do work inside the prison system. I do work in, in Detroit neighborhoods. Uh, I've done work in Dearborn related to... Um, the Healthy Dearborn Coalition and try and understand the particular dynamics of Dearborn and some of the inequalities that exist across the landscape in terms of, of the city of Dearborn and uh, sort of the broader sort of social landscape of Metro Detroit because that's where we are. So we do a lot of research and um, what we would call sort of public sociology, a sociology that, that tries very actively to engage with issues that are occurring um, right now. Yeah. Issues. There's that word again. <laughs> Problems. Um, <laughs> however you want to, um, you know, things there are to be understood. And in sociology, we also have a strong uh, tradition, uh, emphasis, and strain in the discipline of sociology on social justice, sort of impacting the world in a particular kind of a way. So we try not to tell students what that way should be, but we do try to fire up their imaginations and their critical thinking to see the world as something that is constructed by human beings, it has been constructed by human beings over centuries and, and, and eons, and as something that's constructed can be reconstructed and can be, um, can be um, set up in a different way. Mm -hmm. So that you know maybe human flourishing might be something which is more widely accessible to um, citizens or residents of this planet human and non-human, right, <laughs> than, it, than, it, than it currently is. So that's another thing that I would say about, about sociology, which is very strong in all of our classes, is that emphasis on sort of social change and social justice. Yeah, yeah, that's totally fascinating. And um, uh, Dr. Himes, I'm sure that you would have something to add to that about the application of um, your research and prejudice and discrimination and things like that. 
application. I, I actually I don't do much in the way of application. It's I'm more interested in in the the individual's thought processes and their 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 feelings, their empathy as in as something along those lines. I mean, application would be great. It's just I don't know where I would start on that. Um, I mean, it would take a, a massive project that I. I'm I'm more in the lab. I'm more I do more experimental work. Right. Um, so it, it's it's more difficult to uh, to see the connect or to make the connection. Though I mean, certainly it would be valuable. But we we do more things in terms of perceptual sorts of things. How do people perceive each other? How do uh, people remember different ideas about each other based on their stereotypes of different groups in society and so on? Right. Right. So while application might be fuzzy. The importance is certainly there. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to kind of compare uh, psychology approach and sociology. Approach. I think so. Yeah, actually, that's that's good because that question came up earlier. You know, what, what's the difference? You would ask, what's the difference? So the difference is, is everything we do has no application. Everything he does has no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It. There's a good connection between us, but um, uh, we, but we do have our different emphases. So. Yeah, different scopes. Right? Yeah, I think so. And, and we learn, and we can learn a lot from each other. Oh, so, yeah. for example, yeah. if you go out into the messiness of the world and you see, uh, you know, the complex uh, alliances that that people make or the associations that people make, um, you know, we try to understand that in terms of the environments that are affecting people, that are shaping people's decisions. But sometimes we, as sociologists, don't really know that much about the brain or how it's the brain is actually working and so we turned our colleagues in, in, in psychology to say you know actually some of what we're seeing out here which seems to us at one level to be irrational behavior actually makes a lot of sense when you start thinking about cognition and the way that the brain works and the way that right. people function in terms of seeing the world in terms of different categories and how they you know respond based on how they categorize different things in their environment so the two sort of come together in that sense and trying to understand the mechanisms that um, that sort of underlie the the, um, the the complex machinations of the social world, the holistic social world that we're interested in. We try to break it down and get at the mechanisms. That's when uh, a lot of the the sort of the more lab-based research um, becomes very very useful to us. And I know Dr. Seifert has something to say about that also. Well, it's also it's a good point. One of the things that the two fields have in common is we're trying to understand why people do the things they do. Um, what motivates them, why they think the things they think. And psychology often, sometimes to its detriment, uh, will focus largely on the individual and sort of ways in which people are different. Some people are tall, some people are short, some people are shy, some people are going. And we look for sort of how that ties to the brain, how that ties to the body. But particularly in the past 100 years, psychology is increasingly aware, and a part of what Dr. Himes and Dr. Wong both do, is to study how situational and, like mm -hmm. Dr. Drops is saying, cultural factors also influence things. For example, if you're at a party, people who are very extroverted are like out there and they're talking and they're very excitable. People who are introverted are probably not at the party. <laughs> but everybody in church or at a funeral is quiet. And that has to do with culture, not the individual. And so these forces sort of work back and push against each other. One of an exciting area of psychology that a lot of folks are not really aware of, that Dr. Wong does, is the way in which your work culture, your work environment, how you present yourself at work, how those things sort of influence you, what you do, what you think, even the extent to which you get 
hired. And it's very sort of similar, thinking both about the individual as well as trying to think about larger cultural factors impinging upon one another. So just to Oh, I was just going to hand it over to you. Oh, I, I was just going to give an example of that research because um, Professor Siebert sort of set me up for that. Mm -hmm. But um, So I do some research on resumes. And one of the things, and I have had some students, students actually got some publications out of this. So if I have a student working a, a good deal on a project and the students really contributed, I will put them on as an author on, on the manuscript. And there was a recent publication that I did with Professor McCausland. She's a social psychologist. We were looking at adjectives that people use in their resumes. And the thing that was really interesting is we were finding very much of a gender effect. That if, when we did, we didn't, we actually, it was a two part study. I don't want to take too long because I know we have limited time. But essentially, what we found from the study was that when women self promoted, it was sometimes viewed very negatively. When men self promoted, it was viewed very positively. So it put women in a really bad position because you need to show that you're competent in an interview or in a resume. So you're there showing your competence, but you can't be too pushy about it. So we have to be nice and we have to be competent. Men just need to be competent. That's what our research was showing. Um, we've done some additional work, Professor McCausland and I, and it seems like it's changing a little bit. So we have something, we have some new data and we're trying to make sense of it right now. But that's just showing you the idea of how we're judged in this larger environment. And so that what maybe what has been reinforcing for women, you know, being really nice, is different than what's been reinforcing for men. And so that might explain some of our behaviors in the workplace also. So that's just an example. And, and that's actually a good opportunity in thinking about resumes and the way sociologists might approach, approach resumes compared to the way that Dr. Wong has done. So there's a very uh, famous and influential study that was done by a sociologist named Va Pager. Um, uh, it was a very, very elegant and simple study, and what she did was she took uh, young men, uh, African-American men and white men, and they uh, essentially were all chosen from the same pool of college students, I believe. I'm fudging this a little bit because I may not have all the details exactly right. But the, essentially, she sent them, uh, she had them do two things, to send out their resumes and to send out uh, and to go out for interviews. And the things they controlled were factors that were in the resumes. So, in fact, the qualifications that they had on their resumes were, were exactly the same. So, in this, in this case, what they're trying to understand was not the, the individuals and their characteristics uh, and, and how they were interpreted, but how their social characteristics were interpreted by others in the world. So, again, the sociologist is interested in how mm -hmm. race and gender and power operate in the world as opposed to, you know, how the, the individual might be perceived. Right. So basically, the idea was that the individuals were basically just uh, kind of like dupes or dopes. They they didn't matter that much. The what was really being focused on the subject of the experiment was those racial categories and those particular items which are dropped into their resume. So in some cases, they were exactly the same except they had a criminal conviction. Right. In their in in their resume, right? So they they would keep everything else the same and then just add in a criminal conviction, and they would do this for both the white applicants and the black applicants. And what did they find? What they found was that the um, black applicants, uh, the people with a criminal conviction, were less likely to be called for an interview than people without one, right? That's probably maybe not surprising. But they also found that. Uh, African-American applicants were less likely to be called for an interview or less likely to be offered a job if they did go to an interview <laughs> than white applicants. But what was really shocking was that white applicants who had a criminal conviction, the exact same criminal conviction on their resume for crack cocaine possession, I think it was, were more likely to get an interview and a job offer than African-American male applicants who didn't have a, 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 
a, a, uh, the same equivalent conviction on, on their resume, right? And so um, what they're interested in there is, is, again, how these things operate out in the world. Now, to go to understand how those individual employers or were, were, were reading or interpreting these things, how they were processing it, that would take you back into the sort of the psychological domain again. And then to sort of play off on what Professor Drouse is saying, I teach a diversity in the workplace class, and we take this exact study and we talk mm -hmm. about it. So a lot of what you get Did in I technology... Did I get it mostly right? Perfect. <laughs> From what I remember, again, yeah. my, it's been a while since I've talked about that too. But... Um, where I was going with this is one of the things we really talk about is what can you do in the workplace to reduce this because it's pretty well known from social psychology that we all stereotype. That stereotyping is it's an efficient way of thinking. Your brain wants to work fast, not accurately. So we're fast thinkers, but we're not always accurate thinkers. So how do we get people in the workplace to slow down? How do we get them to really think about how can I do this as accurately as possible? And so that's what um, a lot of times I'm teaching students in this class. Like how, what are the things organizations can do. What can you do as an employee, as a coworker, that's going to stop some of these automatic things that we do? So, uh, so I think it's kind of interesting how everything you know ties together back and forth. And students will also take things that they learned in the classroom and even things that they've learned doing individual research and sort of leverage that towards what they want to do in the world. Um, one. One of the ways that you've seen a lot of sociologies influencing the business community in the past 20 years is more interest in social justice, organic food, sustainability, not just for sort of like love, hope, and peace, but also mm -hmm. because it turns out to be a very efficient and important way of, of pursuing many business ends. A lot of what you learn in psychology and in sociology mm -hmm. is sort of how people think how they form attitudes, how they form opinions. And this can be applied to everything from starting a business or building a brand to figuring out why people like a certain type of toothpaste or how to best market or represent a company. And so while all of us are going to teach our topics in a manner that's very consistent with what we are most interested in, often our students will take that knowledge more generally and apply it in like a very wide range of ways. One more concrete example. If you're going to do some advertising, it would be useful to know a little bit about how memory works. And so even though there's no one here, that I know of at least, who's studying the memorability of advertising, there are numerous psychologists here that teach and study sort of how the brain works, forms memories, forms attitudes. And that information can be applied to many, many, many different um, jobs and careers. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, your degree here can definitely be a kind of a choose-your-own-adventure once you have your basic, um, your cognitive, your or bio, your developmental, um, all the other ones. Um, then you can kind of get this outside of the classroom experience, like talking with people like these professors here, and um, figuring out, okay, what more can I do? And if you really are hungry for that experience, for that knowledge, then there are a lot of ways to do it, for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so we've got about five minutes left. So let's open it up to um, any of you have any questions for the professors or for us? Anything about student life or anything like that? I have a question uh, about what the typical classes are like. Um, I've gone to college before, since my second time. And uh, well, some of the classes were really just um, focused on just memorizing facts rather than having discussions or just 
I don't know, learning just organically. I don't mean, I understand memorizing facts are important, but like the discussion you guys are having right now, I think it's really helpful too. Because it's just, I mean, it's, it's just very interesting. Yeah. Um, I think Zenon and I can talk about this one because I do think it, it really does depend on a professor and their style. But I think that what's cool about psychology is that most people who are teaching psychology know a lot about learning and like what might work best for people. So I do think that something here that I've experienced anyway is that you do get to interact with the material in a lot of ways. And while there is very dense material depending on the class or depending on you think more abstractly or concretely, different classes might vary. Um, I think that the professors take that responsibility as being people who are knowledgeable about psychology to work with students in that way. And then also, um, because it is a small university, um, like we mentioned before, going to office hours, things like uh, the supplemental instruction program do give that, like, you know, you'll be playing Jeopardy or, you know, you'll be um, in small groups within SI talking about the material. And I think that for me, that was always, I would look forward to it because it would really make the material my own. It would kind of give me an opportunity to play with it and bounce off, okay, well, I kind of think about it in this way, or like, oh, I drew this kind of diagram or anagram or whatever, anagram, is that the word, yeah, um, to acrostic, whatever, um, to remember um, this thing, and then you kind of have that community as well to, yeah, outside you as well. Yeah, and another thing to keep in mind, too, is like the degree of memorization that you're going to have in any class. There's always going to be some stuff like vocabulary terms you're going to need to know. But that also varies on what class you're taking. Like um, right now I'm in a biological psychology class and there's a lot of memorization of what which neurotransmitter does what and that's because there's really no other way to learn that. But whenever there is an alternative, it seems like the, at least the classes I've taken, the professors do a lot of this kind of organic lecturing, a lot like what you've heard here. So. Um, I, I'll say that for myself as I'm, um, as I'm, as I'm move, moving along forward in my timeline, I guess is one way. I'm, I'm sort of uh, trying to do less and less lecturing, period. And I've been, in, and, and there are other, I know there are a lot of other faculty doing this. There's an idea of the flipped classroom. I don't know if you're familiar with this idea. So the idea of the flipped classroom is that rather than using this, the valuable interaction time that you have in the classroom to just go through a lecture that's delivering the information that you want the students to remember, you sort of put that on them to read through that knowledge, that information before they come to class and you use the classroom time for, for interaction, for activities, or for group projects, or for sort of problem-based learning where they're actually applying some of the things that they've, they've learned, that they've read, right? Rather than sort of having a, a kind of a, you know, a PowerPoint slide after, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I still have PowerPoint well, slides. Sure. <laughs> kind of get away from the stupid things. But um, so, you know, more sort of problem-based active learning, we call it sometimes, yep. where people are engaging the concepts and using them in different ways and, and, and applying them creatively and juxtaposing different ideas as opposed to just saying, well, this is what this thinker said, and that's why it's important, right? Trying to say, think about, you know, application. What, 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 are, what is the sort of the um, potential use or what are the implications of this concept? You know, and then if you compare it to this concept and things like that. So um, I think, you know, that's the, uh, my sense is that the universities as a whole um, are moving in that 
direction, uh, sort of thinking about multiple modalities of learning. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that, again, is, is getting into Dr. Seifert's territory, too. I've learned some, yeah. some great things from him about sort of the way students learn. You know, they tend to learn, they tend to remember things in 15-minute increments, right? Yes. Only. So it's like you can sit there and lecture for an hour and a half, 15 minutes, after 15 minutes, they're like, <laughs> night class is 8.30, boom, they're gone. <laughs> class goes till 9.10. But 8.30, you've kind of lost them. You can see the eyes glaze over and stuff like that, right? So, I mean, we got to think about different ways to communicate the material, but not only to communicate the material, but what's important about the material. One thing I think you'll find in behavioral sciences in our department in general that I'm very proud of is that we do really emphasize teaching. And teaching is a huge part of how we're evaluated in terms of our job performance. And there's always more... Um, help in terms of improving teaching. There's a lot of workshops. We can go to workshops in Ann Arbor. We have things going on here, all, like so many that you can't attend all of them. But there's this constant idea of like improvement. Like you're not, even if you're a really good teacher, you're not done yet. Like you have to just keep at it and keep figuring out new ways to reach students. And I think that's a really common thing that you'll see among all of us here at this table, but really across the department. So no matter what class you're taking, whether it's psych or anthro or social it, sociology, it's going to be, I think you'll you'll find that the teaching is good here. And it's a, it, what you're describing certainly exists here, but it's more a part of a balanced diet. For some students, believe it or not, like pre-med students, they would prefer that all we did is lecture and they just had to memorize. Oh yeah, they get all like freaked out when you start asking them exactly. to like, <laughs> you know, so um, do something. You know. right. right, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but other students like yourself, you know, would probably prefer something else. And, and typically how it works is, for example, in psychology, Psych 101 does involve a fair amount of, me- of memorization, but as you move through the curriculum, like by the time you're getting to your methods class, what you're doing is much more problem-based, and mm-hmm. for your advanced method class too, it, it, it's more of sort of you're doing the type of thing that you could talk about on a job interview or that you could talk about in a graduate school application where it was it was an activity and a discussion and um that that's usually more fun for students it's a little bit more ambiguous it's, honestly mm-hmm. it's more fun for us believe it or not mm-hmm. um and so i think what you'll find is sort of at one end you will have very hands-on classes you know there are some at the very basic level are more memorization and then a lot of sort of project-based discussion-based classes in between Thank you for joining us on another episode of Preoccupied. You can follow us on Twitter at P-R-E-O-C-C podcast. That's Preoc podcast to get notified when a new episode is being released. And you can always send us an email at hosts at pre-occupied.com. Maddie and I wish you all the best and hope that you'll tune in next time for the next episode of Preoccupied. That's all, folks. (laughs) Yeah.